Welcome to Open Out, a podcast series about intentionally opening our lives and our faith communities outward, welcoming folk who not only look and sound different, but also may think and act in ways we do not expect. My name is Bill Miller, and these podcasts grew out of both research funded by the United Church Foundation and the lived experience of the folk of Knox United in Winnipeg, a church that over the 14 years I worked there emerged as one of the most culturally diverse churches in North America. This is our seventh and final episode in our Committed series called The Problem of Invitation. The Problem of Invitation. I was originally planning to call this episode The Power of Invitation. In fact, that's what I called it in the promo in the last episode. But all week I've been uncomfortable with the title. And I think I figured out why. Invitation is tied to ownership. Who gets to invite someone? Well, the person whose it is. The homeowner, the car owner, the boat owner. You can invite someone over to dinner at your house, but I can't invite someone to eat at your place unless you ask me to. And if your young neighbor, Talisha, is celebrating her sixth birthday, you don't get to invite your friends, social distance or no social distance. That's for Alicia or her parents to do. And if you've bought a new canoe and say you want me to help you test it out for a wee paddle in the woods, I can't invite the guys from my men's yoga class to join us. Saying we want to invite people to church implies that that particular house of God somehow belongs to us. The church being ours, we can then be generous and magnanimous and invite those we want to include. But you see, we're not owners. It isn't ours. Remember, Jesus spoke of a big house with many rooms. So if we think of the commonwealth of God as being like a big old mansion, well, you and I, We're not the lord or lady of the manor here. So then, what are we? Squatters? Well, perhaps. Tenants? Maybe. Some might say heirs. But for me, the best image is that we are custodians, janitors and gardeners and cleaners. Even if we are staff, as custodians, it's not for us to invite guests to the banquet. That's our boss's job. And so we don't get to decide who is invited to church. God does that. God's already done that. Listen to these words from our scriptures. Everybody who's thirsty, come and drink. And all of you with no money, come and eat. All you weary laborers, burdened with your heavy loads, come. I'll give you a place to rest. Quickly go out into the city streets and bring in the poor, the wounded, the blind, and the lame. See, God's already invited them. They're showing up at the gate. question is really whether we as custodians are willing to let them in. Thinking about this over the last few days, another image came to my mind. That of a hotel, a fancy one. But not just any hotel, one in particular. The Hotel de Mille Collines in Kigali. Do you remember the movie Hotel Rwanda? It was that hotel where nearly 1,300 people took refuge during the 1995 genocide in that country. 
Today is the pain of racism, of justice denied, of intolerance and exclusion erupts on our own streets. Maybe our role is to be that of Paul Rossi's Bajana, the hotel manager who opened his stores. As managers in a time of crisis, we can intentionally keep the people out or we can allow them in. Paul Rossi's Bajana opened the doors and sure it was all a bit mad and chaotic and stressful, but it was all right. It was right. It was sanctuary. These podcasts have been about intentionally opening outwards. And the cost for us in doing this is some discomfort. But faith was never intended to be comfortable. One of my favorite biblical characters is Amos, that passionate prophet farmer who railed against the self-satisfied, exclusive faith systems of his day. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. That's what God says. Your religious assemblies, they stink. They make me sick. You can offer me whatever choice offering you wish. I'm not interested. Go away. Take the sound of your hymns with you. I'm not going to listen to your harp songs anymore. Instead, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness as a never-failing stream. It's about justice, this intentional opening of our churches outward. Remember, we touched on that last week a bit with this. In the end, all of this is not about the survival of the church, or at least not only about that. It's also about justice. The streets of cities throughout the USA, throughout Canada, throughout the world are filled with folk who are saying they are tired of the struggle against exclusion. This is what intercultural church is all about, opening the doors that God never intended to be closed. The word for justice in this Amos passage is mizpat, and it means to judge fairly. The word translated righteousness is zedekah, which includes the ideas of both mercy and honesty. Whatever else COVID did, it created a crisis. And that word crisis, spelt with a K, in Greek means judgment. Separating out stuff so we can decide. How do we want to live now? How do we want our faith communities to live? Hmm. Again, Amos has words. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. And then God will be with you, just as you say God is. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. And God will be with you as you say God is. That last wee jab is perhaps felt most acutely for United Church folk because in our beloved creed, which in many places is recited weekly, the strong refrain is, God is with us. Amos says to us, hmm, well, let's see. Seek good, the Hebrew word here is tob, which means healthy. And not evil. Now, that word is raw, which means harmful, malignant, or toxic. 
Seek what is healthy, not what is harmful. Racism is toxic. It's harmful. Excluding those God's already invited, well, that could be fatal, malignant. I am a member of a Facebook group called Black Lives Matter to the United Church. Black lives do matter to the United Church. I know they do. They clearly matter enough to start a Facebook group. And they matter enough to pass resolutions condemning racism. They matter enough to write statements supporting the marchers. But do they matter enough for us to change? Do black lives or brown lives matter enough to the United Church, to any church, for the church to change, to create space for everyone? Do their lives matter enough to the church to change our admission criteria, the process by which immigrant church leaders can have their credentials recognized here, criteria which currently recognize only Western-style liberal university credit, but not, for example, the acquired wisdom of offering ministry in refugee camps for years, an admissions process that only recognizes foreign European-style churches that belong to international organizations, not small, indigenous, based community-type churches. Yet these have brought about so much social transformation. Do Black Lives Matter to the church enough for us to change the way we worship, incorporating the body and senses, worship that intentionally builds relationship and connection? Do they matter enough to the church to change the way we think, instead of rigidly adhering only to our individualist ways, to allow collectivist-style thinking to be simply an alternative pattern in our living together? In the end, opening our communities outwards isn't only about surviving. It's about justice. That includes recognizing, as we explored last week, the reality of Ubuntu, that I exist, I survive only because you exist, you survive. We need each other. That's collectivism. Although it's been the focus of these podcasts, opening out isn't essentially about cultures. It's about a fundamental stance, choosing open borders. Ubuntu, interconnection, that underlies what academics call intersectionality. That word might be a bit unfamiliar, perhaps a bit confusing. So just focus on the main part of that word, intersection. Now think of crossing the street in the middle of a block. You gotta watch because you could get hit by a car going down the street. But crossing at an intersection, well, you could get clobbered by all kinds of cars going all kinds of directions. That's what intersectionality is all about, getting clobbered in a bunch of directions. We've been talking in these podcasts about facing exclusion and disadvantage due to race, accent, and culture. But there's also social class, sexual orientation, gender, ability, weight, height, mental health. All these bits of human diversity can combine, crash, and clobber us at the intersection. The black feminist academic Patricia Hill Collins spoke of the matrix of domination. Now that's similar to intersectionality. She's referring to the way all these different forms of oppression, color, class, gender, 
They all look like they're different, but in fact, they're interconnected. She also wrote about the historical importance of black women who worked as domestics in white homes because they understood the nitty-gritty of the white elites, how they thought, how they operated. And she spoke about them as the outsider within, someone with a foot in both worlds. This perspective, that of the outsider, is vitally important in opening out communities. As I thought about that role, that perspective, I realized that this might be one of the things that helped us, helped me at Knox in the emerging diversity. See, I grew up working class, and though I've been in ministry for 40 years, I've never really quite felt at home in the church, in, in any church. I never really felt like I fully belonged. The idea of the stranger, the outsider, has been really important in Jewish thought. In the book of Exodus, the people were reminded to never oppress or reject the stranger because, as it says, you know the heart of a stranger, for you yourselves were once strangers too. If we want to open our faith communities, maybe we need to actively cultivate this heart of a stranger ourselves. It could provide us with an existential link to the lived experience of those who are currently not welcomed in our churches, at least not unless they become like us, speak like us, think like us, act like us. One of the oldest passages in the Hebrew scriptures outlines one of Israel's earliest rituals, where when you brought the offering of your first fruits, you would recite, a wandering Aramean was my father. They were told to bring this offering not only with the Levites, the priests, but also clearly and deliberately with the stranger in your lands. And so they again intentionally reminded themselves of the outsider within, within the nation, within themselves. The outsiders who live among you, says the book of Leviticus, shall be to you as your own citizens. For you yourselves were outside. Who are the strangers in your homeland, your city, your village? Those who are not yet welcomed in your faith communities? Well, you can start by just having a quick look at some of the demographic information for your neighborhood and compare it to your church. For this podcast, I, I just picked one neighborhood as an example it's a neighborhood we spoke about before here in Winnipeg called Richmond West. Now, the church there is 90 to 95% white, mostly older folk, mostly middle class or higher. And we've already noted something about the cultural diversity of the neighborhood. 49%, just under half, 49% are visible minority, and another 5% are indigenous. About 37% are immigrants, mostly from Asia, South Asia, and West Africa. And 42% have a first language that's other than French or English. But now, let's also look a bit broader. 50%, half of the population there are under 35. Half. 40% are single. 42%, almost half, have high school or less. The median income in the neighborhood is $40,000. How does that compare to the church? Why is there a difference? Other expressions of diversity are not included in census data. What about intellectual diversity, mental health, sexual orientation? Well, if it's not in the census data, how could you find this out? Yeah. 
through conversation, right? Simply by getting to know the folk in your neighborhood. If your church currently is primarily white, what is it like to be brown or black and be there? How does it feel? How could you know? Or what is it like to be queer in your church? Or to attend worship if you're struggling with mental health issues? How could you find out? Ask. Listen. The key is to find opportunities for conversation, not service. Don't set out to serve them. Don't set out to serve anybody. Don't try to help them. Instead, talk with them. Listen to them. The folk in your neighborhood, the, the outsiders who have already started attending. Find opportunities to pray, not preach. To learn, not teach. In order to understand, you need to, just as the word implies, stand under the other person. Just over a hundred years ago in the USA, Eugene Debs, the Bernie Sanders of his day, said, While there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. While there is a soul in prison, I am not free. 1900 years before that, Jesus said, Whatever you do to those considered least among my brothers and sisters, you do for me. COVID has broken into our history, unexpected, unplanned for, unannounced. We've had this break, this pause imposed on us as churches. It's a kind of forced reboot. Can we use this time to reorient our brains, switch them from thinking about church as an established order to an agency actively engaged in disestablishing order, disrupting it? Well, why would we do that? Because the order itself is based on years, centuries of domination, subjugation, and slavery. Without domination, subjugation, and slavery of others, we would not have the economies we have. We would not have the standard of living we've become accustomed to. And therefore, we would not have these comfortable churches of intentional or unintentional sameness for us to worship in. Black Lives Matter reminds us of all this, of how the comfort of some today is the direct result of the discomfort, the pain of so many through history. Once we know this, we're faced with important choices. One, we can deny that reality, pretend it doesn't exist. Two, we can wallow in remorse and guilt, which so often is simply self-indulgence in disguise, another way that privilege can manifest itself. Or three, we can use our current position to open up, open out the system sabotage it from within. In the old biblical phrasing, this is pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself. You know, after their reboot for 40 years in the desert, when they were about to enter this new land, this promised land, God spoke to the people through Moses. Look, I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life. It makes sense. It seems reasonable enough. And yet so often as humans we found the fatal path to be so much more alluring. 
Amos, seek good and not evil. Seek health and not harm, that you may live. And then the Lord will be with you as you say he is. At Open Out, we'll take a break now for a couple of months. But before we do that, I thought it might be helpful in case you're listening to these podcasts, not in a series, but the most recent one first, to do a bit of a recap. The whole Open Out series is set up in five sections corresponding to the psychological stages of change. Curious, considering, committed, commencing, and continuing. After the intro session, we began simply by being curious. Curious about what it might look like if we were to open our faith communities, open ourselves beyond our own group. That was episode one. Then we looked at why we might want to do that. And one of the key concepts to this whole series was the focus of episode two. We live in a changed and changing social context. Beginning in the 1960s, when the birth rate started to fall and fell below replacement levels, rather than shrink, Canada took a bold step to change, to intentionally grow through immigration, primarily from non-Western, non-white countries. Then in episode three, we looked at how the church, the United Church and most mainline Protestant churches, opted to not go that route to not grow through welcoming newcomers, just to keep going the same old way. Accordingly, it has shrunk at a consistent rate. Within a few decades, if this trend does not change, it will cease to exist. The option, of course, remains the option of choosing to intentionally open itself outward to welcome those who have come from away, those who are somehow different. The Considering series of four episodes followed. Probing a little bit deeper, we first explored in episode four some examples of faith communities that have opened themselves to diversity and then looked at the different levels of welcome that a community can engage in. Episode five focused on patterns of privilege and entitlement and how we might reboot both our brains and our faith communities. Episode six looked specifically at the process of navigating through change. Episode 7, which is our most popular episode to date, allowed us to tap into the wisdom and lived experience of Dan Berkodka, originally from Nepal, exploring what he believes is the central role of vulnerability in transforming communities. This then brought us to our current series, Committed. Here we're assuming folk have some level of buy-in, so it's not about convincing anymore, it's about doing. Episodes 8 and 9 looked at the fascinating and somewhat strange area of unconscious or implicit bias, part of the way the human brain works. We all have biases, but they can change. When bias and privilege combine, however, well, that's a toxic combination. Episodes 10 and 11 looked at some key differences in how people from different cultures understand themselves, each other, and how we are to live as humans, our values. The first of these two looked at the difference that underlies most of the other differences, that key difference of whether you understand yourself primarily as an individual or primarily as a member of a group or collective. In episode 11, then, we expanded this to look at a number of other important differences between cultures. And here we also introduced the mental tool called NAIL, Notice, Accept, Inquire, Learn. 
In episodes 12 and 13, we shifted our attention to the specific area of worship. What is worship? Why and how do we do it? We discovered that in much of the world, experience is foundational to worship. The senses, the body, ubunye in South African thought. Relationships are also central to worship for collectivists and therefore to most of the world. Ubuntu, I exist because you exist. Can we incorporate both of these key themes into intercultural worship? Worship that is intentionally open to everyone? What might that look like? That then takes us to today's episode. When Open Out starts again, after the middle of August, we'll begin a six-week series on commencing, on actually doing it, that, that process of creating community, worship, and living that is open and engaging to diversity. And that'll be followed by a four-week series on continuing how to maintain this new way of living. The music in today's episode is by Johnny Baker in a recording called Justice and is used with permission. It was originally published by Proust in the UK, but it doesn't seem to be in their current catalog. If you're interested in downloading the whole song, you could contact Proust at P-R-O-O-S-T dot C-O dot U-K. Or you could contact Johnny himself through his blog. Now, Johnny is spelt with no H. So it's J-O-N-N-Y-B-A-K-E-R dot blogs dot com. Johnny was one of the original leaders of the alternative worship or emergent movements in the United Kingdom a few decades back. And he continues to do brilliant work across that pond. The theme music for Open Out is written and performed by Bruce Harding, one of Canada's most talented church musicians. Bruce was foundational to so much of our work at Knox. Terry McLeod has been a great help in terms of technical production. Funding came through the United Church Foundation. I am grateful as well to support from the United Church's Publishing House and Intercultural Ministries. Our website is openout.ca, and there you can link to the entire series of podcasts. Or you can subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts from. There's also an Open Out Facebook page where we can connect. Or you can reach me by email at openout.ic at gmail.com. 2020 has been such a remarkable and strange year so far. Who knows what may have happened by the time we connect next. But as both our Muslim brothers and sisters and my old Irish grandma used to say, God willing, have a wonderful and peaceful summer. May you find refreshment either in nature or in the company of those you love, or in solitude and reflection, whatever is restorative for your soul. Until next time then, Habibi, God bless. Shalom. Salam. Jai Mashiach. Yeah, yeah.